We meet today in Philippians chapter 3, and we are only looking at two verses. This is one of the situations where you just say, what are we going to be talking about when we look at just two verses? But again, my friend, the wealth of the Word of God just sometimes surprises us in the sense that we have so much in God's Word. And I do hope today you will be able to enjoy just verse 20 and verse 21 of Philippians chapter 3. We are talking about Paul and how he changed his hope for the future. In our last study, we saw how Paul changed his purpose for the present. The whole chapter has been talking to us about the prize for Christian living. We had seen how he changed his bookkeeping system of the past. And last time we talked of how he changed his purpose for the present. But you cannot deal with the past and the present and not talk about the future. So today we see him changing his hope for the future. Listen to what his hope for the future is. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 3 verse 20. Now, the word our here is very emphatic and it emphasizes and stresses the distinction between true believers whose essential relationships belong to the heavenly sphere and the sensualists just discussed who are exclusively concerned with earthly things. When we looked at verse 19, there were people whose God was their belly who were just preoccupied with the things of the world. Now, a true believer, a true child of God, they are preoccupied with the heavenly sphere, not just the earthly things. You see, the Christian citizenship is in heaven. And for a child of God, earthly things must at best be secondary. Citizenship here means the total way of life. It means a new lifestyle. An even better translation is that made by Mrs. Montgomery, which says, For our city home is in heaven. You see, my friend, the Philippians would find this a most apt metaphor, for in a political sense, they knew what it was to be citizens of a far-off city, even though most of them had probably never been to Rome, but they knew. And they were proud to, of that status, you see. On an immeasurably higher plane, believers, my friend, belong to the city whose architect and builder is God. Hebrews 11 verse 10. And that city is Jerusalem that is above, the new Jerusalem. And believers are themselves foreigners and strangers on the earth. Hebrews 11 verse 13. First Peter 2 verse 11. Because of this, the eyes of the believer should be heavenward, anticipating the coming of their Savior, who is not a merely earthly emperor, but the Lord Jesus Christ. 
You see, an eager expectation of his return does much to protect the believer from earthly sensual enticements. In Philippi, the laws of Rome were enforced. The people wore the same kind of styles that were worn in Rome. They spoke Latin. Everything in Philippi was like Rome because it was a colonial city. Today, believers collectively called the church should be a colony of heaven, my friend, and they ought to act like they act in heaven and speak the language of heaven. Unfortunately, this is not always the case, but it should be our goal. Our citizenship is in heaven. Paul is saying that we are ambassadors of Christ here on the earth. We are to represent heaven and heaven's message here upon the earth that we live because our citizenship is in heaven. You see, the ambassador of any country representing their own country will dress, will do things as they do home. We are on this earth, but we belong to heaven. from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus. You see, Paul expresses the hope of the believer on the high plane of praise to God. It is the joyful anticipation of the return of Christ. So, our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we wait with eager expectation for the second coming of Christ. This is the normal attitude of a citizen of heaven. This expectancy of his coming should spare us on to higher and holier living and giving. The greatest event in a colony was the visit of the emperor, by the way. And the people expected they were waiting for the emperor's coming. Now, our blessed hope is in the coming of Christ. It is our daily delight. It is our earnest expectation and our eager longing. The blessed hope motivates heavenly living, my friend. The hope of the believer in the New Testament is never the great tribulation period. Let me make this little detour. It's a necessary one. After he says, our citizenship is in heaven, Paul says that from there we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus. He doesn't say anything about going through the tribulation, which will be a time of judgment, and the church is actually delivered from that judgment. Believers will not go through the suffering any more than Enoch went through the flood. Many people maintain that the Lord can preserve the church even through the tribulation. Yes, he can. God kept Noah in a boat through the flood, but he took Enoch out of the world. There will be two groups of people who will be there during the tribulation period. One will be taken out, as he says to the church in Philadelphia. Revelation chapter 3 verse 10. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth. You see, the other group will be going through the great tribulation. There will be a great company of Gentiles and there will be 
144,000 of Israel who will go through the great tribulation period because they are to be sealed by God. Let me detour a little bit to say that the teaching that the church is to go through the tribulation period is becoming increasingly absurd. The advocates of this theory maintain that there is not a verse in scripture that says that the church will not go through the tribulation. While it is true that it doesn't say it in those words, neither is there a verse in scripture that has anything to say about the church not doing other things. For instance, I am confident that we are all going to have a position, a job to do throughout eternity, but scripture does not go into detail on that sort of a thing. However, scripture is very clear on the fact that the church has a glorious, wonderful hope for the future. It seems to many of us that it is tissue thin between where we are now and the rapture of the church. However, scripture does not tell us when Christ will come. Apparently, Paul felt that during his lifetime, the Lord could come. And there is no record of Paul's expecting to first go through the great tribulation. He experienced a lot of trouble during his life, but he never interpreted that as the great tribulation. So with a note of glad expectancy, Paul says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, after we go through the real tribulation, it doesn't say that in my Bible. Nowhere does it say that the church is going to go through the great tribulation. Paul's joyful expectancy makes it very clear that he was looking for Christ's return, not for the great tribulation. Philippians 3 verse 21 Who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Christ at his return will transform or change the outward form of believers' mortal bodies so that they will conform to the character of his resurrection body. You see, the present body that we have is described as lowly, which might be better translated as body of humiliation or body of corruption. This is a description calling attention to its weakness and susceptibility to persecution, disease, sinful appetites, and death. This body that we have, my friend, is an earthly body. It is subject to all kinds of limitations. This is why Paul even describes the coming out of the body to be with Christ as gain because in coming out of the body, we gain in both ways. We gain first in the things that we lose. We will lose this body which dies. We lose the persecution. We lose diseases, sinful appetites and all this. But we also gain by coming into the presence of Christ meeting the saints who have gone ahead of us and even rejoicing in Christ, telling us some of the things that we don't know yet. 
So this body has limited, it is subjected to all kinds of limitations. It is adapted to this earth. We are not naturally equipped to go up into space and our bodies are earthly bodies. However, at Christ's coming, the earthly, the transient appearance will be changed, whether by resurrection of those dead or by the rapture of the living. Believers will be transformed and will receive glorified bodies that will more adequately display their essential character as children of God and sharers of divine life in Christ Jesus. This will be accomplished by the same effective power that will ultimately bring all things in the universe under the authority of Christ. My friend, that is a wonderful expectation. And Paul says that it may be conformed to his glorious body. You see, these bodies are corruptible bodies. My body is a corruptible one. It catches flu. It catches diseases. It is weak. It wants to rest. It cannot keep on going. But my friend, one of these days, you and I will move out of these bodies. We will leave them because they are corruptible. They are going to be changed, conformed to his glorious body. It will be a body like the one that the Lord Jesus had after his resurrection. It will be a glorified body. And Paul speaks of it in his letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51 and verse 52. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. You see, the point is that it will be sudden when the trumpet shall sound and our bodies will be changed to be conformed to the glorified body of Christ. While I am dealing with misinterpretation sometimes of this passage, let me say that some people assume that one of the angels spoken of in the book of Revelation is to blow this trumpet. However, the one blowing the trumpet is not indicated here. The book of Revelation deals with Israel. In the Old Testament, we read that Israel was moved on the wilderness march by blowing of two silver trumpets. Israel is accustomed to trumpets. We are not. Perhaps you are remembering that the last trumpet is mentioned in connection with the rapture in First Thessalonians 4 verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven, and with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. Now notice it is the trumpet of God. Whoever turned it over to Gabriel and said Gabriel will blow that trumpet, I question if Gabriel even owns a horn. It is the Lord who will descend with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God. Both speak of the dignity and the majesty of that shout of his. His voice will be penetrating and awe-inspiring. Listen to the way John describes the voice of the glorified Christ in Revelation 1 verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. You see, my friend, 
And when he turned to see who was speaking, he saw the glorified Christ. It was his voice that John heard. There are no trumpets connected with the church, my friend. Today, Christ's word to us is this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. Revelation 3 verse 20. It is his invitation to the evening meal, the last call for dinner. It is an invitation to come to him before the night of the great tribulation falls. When the door is opened, there will go from this earth a group of people who have been put on the launching pad of faith, and they won't go through the great tribulation period. May I say to you that those who expect the church to go through the tribulation have in my judgment the flimsiest theory that is abroad. Yet there are many intelligent people who hold this view. However, I find that these men spend more time with philosophy and psychology and history and other related subjects than they do with the study of the word of God. And that is an indictment. Who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body? The word transformed denotes internal change. We will experience an inward transformation. You see, our nature will be transformed as God makes us in characters perfectly like his son. This, my friend, is exactly the same thought that John had when he said in First John chapter 3 verse 2, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. See, Christ hasn't appeared yet, but when he appears, we shall be like him. Notice the high hope, notice the high expectancy and excitement, the great anticipation of Christ's return. By the way, there is not the slightest suggestion that either Paul or John expected first to go through the great tribulation. Paul had a hope for the future. What is your hope for the future, my friend? The great tribulation? If that is your prospect, you are about as hopeless as the man who has no hope. The child of God has hope for the coming of the Lord and being ushered into his presence. That is a wonderful hope. And I live for Christ. I run the race that I may not even lose coming into his presence gladly because I have also worked for him. By the way, rewards are waiting for those who will listen to his word and obey him. You can have copies of the notes and outlines used for these Living Word for Africa programs so you can follow them as you listen. For your copies, please write to The Living Word for Africa, P.O. Box 4232, Kempton Park, 1620, South Africa. Please say which book of the Bible you want them for, and be sure to include your name and contact information. Let me give you that address again. It's The Living Word for Africa, P.O. Box 4232, Kempton Park, 1620, South Africa.